Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 
Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, the podcast where I speak to bands, musicians and artists about their survival, how they've got to where they are today, how they've kept body and soul and occasionally some of the brilliant gaffes they've made along their way. I'm so excited to welcome Jam Supernova to 101 Part-Time Jobs. Of course, we've heard Jams on One Extra, BBC Six Music, and now she has her own podcast, DIY Handbook, where she speaks to some incredible guests, from June Sarpong to Toddler T, about their creative journey and the do's and don'ts they've learned along their way. Thank you so much for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. We're well past 101 episodes now. I've sold out for all books that I got printed for the occasion. That was a brilliant feeling shipping the last few of them. So thank you to everyone who ordered one of those books. And shout out to Loud and Quiet magazine for mentioning it in their most recent issue. East London Signature Brew have been brewing beers with bands since 2011. They've made beers with Hot Chip, Mastodon, Sports Team and a whole bunch of other bands and artists. If you go to their website signaturebrew.co.uk, you can make an order to get some beers delivered directly to your door. And with the voucher code 101podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off that order. All right, here's Jam Supernova on 101 part-time jobs. Subscribe if you haven't already. Go back through the 100 plus episodes that I've done and see you next week. Go well. Cheers! When I was playing in a band that required us to tour basically full-time, Everyone was everyone was working jobs between tours and and between making records, and I quickly found out that that never stops. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. You can keep on writing, keep on making records, um, but ultimately, it's up to you. You know, as a freelance creative, it's you're your own manager. You know, you have to give yourself the impetus. And after ten years in radio, now with DIY Handbook, which is the definition of that. You know, talking about mistakes speaking about how you make it happen for yourself and more importantly, making it happen for yourself in the first place is, is keeping it going, keep on carrying on. I mean, you know, starting off at represent and work, you know, going to the BBC and one extra, um, you must've been reflecting on that period of time quite a lot now. And, and with your DIY handbook, I mean, how did you get into represent? How, what's the story getting into there? Well, represent and BBC actually happened at the same time. Oh wow! I started literally both within 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 weeks of each other. Um, so I'd started as an intern at the BBC at One Extra. Um, they used to do this two month scheme that they would do. I think they still do it occasionally, but um, two month sort of work work placement scheme in production. And I knew that I wanted to do work experience there from like when I was like 17 years old and just kept on waiting to turn 18. And then every time that they opened it up, I would I would just apply and um, didn't hear anything back for three, three times, three applications. Then it was finally on that, that third and final application that I got a response back and, and had an interview. Um, I managed to get the placement, which was like, yes, okay, unlock this next door for me. Um, and then around the same time, I had, you know, it was in the year that I had left college and I'd done so much radio at college and I'd continued doing radio by doing it at um, like a small um, sort of local station which is kind of run by, you know, real, real kind of community, community, when they say community radio, not youth radio, I mean, like, community radio, like in the basement of a computer shop run by, you know, men, twice my age. Um, and um, I, I, I was on that station. And um, I had a friend that was doing radio at Represent was like, why are you hanging out with these old men? Like, come and do a radio show where all the young people are and come to represent. And so literally, it was like, all within that sort of same summer, 
um, that I started as an intern and and doing shows on Represent. It was per- perfect timing, really. That's great that it took it, you know, took three goes. I mean, keeping on it, you know, staying determined, which is obviously one of the episodes of of DIY Handbook. It's that, that resilience. Mm. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people in the create in creative industries in music or playing in bands or electronic or or DJ music where it it can often feel like they're gatekeepers, yeah. um, which in my experience. I realized was definitely at times that I've thought that it was definitely in my own head. You know, that was a product of myself. No, I, I, I actually think there are there are gatekeepers and whether they're gatekeepers in a sense of um, we're not letting you through, you know, or that mm. sort of thing. Or there are people, you know, in the in these sort of careers, there are other people that are in control of your destiny. And I think that can be the hard, a hard pill to swallow. And that was something that I really had to to learn how to overcome that emotionally and the way around that person that or whoever that person was because I think all of my sort of initial initial sort of um beginnings and all the different types of you know jobs areas that I'm in now but you know it took me five times to get a show on one extra five that was five years it took me three times right, like nothing right. c- kind of came um easy and there were always going to be those people in in the way that would say that I wasn't good enough or I wasn't this or I wasn't that and it's like okay so I had to go back into my head all right cool um so how do I make myself either a so good that they it's undeniable or b how do I go about it a different way so that they that 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 area that they don't think I'm good at doesn't really matter anymore how how have you kind of navigated that in terms of you know the, the face-to-face kind of interaction with those people, or or mm. over email. I mean, it's 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 hard. Pe- you know that, that that those must have been tough conversations, and yeah, I think a lot of people kind of would shy away from those kinds of rebuttals. I suppose that that people might give you. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I remember the sort of the first the first sort of rejection, like face to face, that I had experienced because I wasn't averse to rejection. You know, before. Um, you know, that year of work experience that I did before I even got to the BBC, I'd entered so many different presenting competitions and um, there had been so, you know, I sort of started to quite rapidly from like 18 get a taste of of rejection, whether it was um, even, um, you know, even um, I, I did this sort of scheme straight out of college with The Guardian and then you went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival and then off the back of that, you'd meet lots of different TV companies and you could go and do interviews with them so you could be a runner and that was my you know at that time that was my dream to be a runner because that's gonna again open lots of doors and I had about four interviews back to back to back and didn't get any of them Wow. so yes yeah, so I wasn't adverse to rejection but that was never face to face that's like someone not calling you back or an mm. email or a phone mm. call and you know you can you can kind of mask it a little bit but um I remember the first like bit of rejection like face to face and it was um probably about just under a year of me working at, at one extra I'd you know, continued after my work experience and stayed on in production. And I'd um, done like a demo for them. And I just really thought that I I had it. And I thought that, you know, it was all part of my master pl- plan that I'd worked there for a couple of years. And then they would see that I'm a talent and then I get a show all before 21. That was like the the the, the goal. And um, so I just, I really thought I had it. And because also I was a little bit sneaky, I could listen to other people's demos. Great. 
So I could hear, <laughs> I could hear what everyone else was doing. But if, yeah. you know, naively, yeah. I still thought I was, you know, probably I don't know. Naively, I still thought I was the best. Um, but I wasn't, and I, I definitely wasn't. And I, I, if I was to hear them now, I'd probably like, you know, be like nails scratching on a chalkboard if I heard my first demo. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I went into the office. He was like, "Yeah, let's, you know, the the, the one of the head of or the editors or you know head of a sort of you know particular group of shows." He was like, "Yeah, great, coming for a meeting. You got to listen to your demo." And so I pumped myself up for this meeting. I even got all dressed up, you know. <laughs> and um, my mum had was going to meet me in town. Um, afterwards after this you know we'd celebrate we go shopping that was kind of how I saw it happening in my head and then um yeah I got in there and I got into the boardroom and he was just like you know I'm really sorry it's just not your time yet he's just not good enough there were just people that we're listening to that are better than you um and I just burst into tears straight away wow. in his face. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was just so upset and distraught. And then he felt awful because he just got this, like, you know, 20-year-old girl just crying in his office. Um, and then I felt embarrassed and stuff. And um, But, you know, he was he was really um, – he was he dealt with it really well. He was like, but, you know, this – and he was like, but this isn't in the end. This isn't it. Isn't like You don't just do one demo and this is mm. it. Mm. He was like, let's figure out a way to get you there, you know. Let's think about the little in between little bit little steps that we can we can do to get you there and that and I think that was a real sort of um, a real needed moment because I needed that experience to happen. Um, I needed to know that it wasn't going to be easy and happen overnight and um, it'd be plain sailing. But I also needed to know that you don't just get one shot, mm-hmm. you know. And and there are even though it might be someone in control of your destiny in some elements, there are elements that you can take control of. And what he was telling me to do was go away and control the things you can control. So we've got to control how you can get better. How can you get more air miles? How can you become a voice on the radio in different ways? But can you do features on somebody else's show? How can we grow your profile? You know, what are you listening to? What stations are you listening to? What other stations are you listening to? You know, check out this person because this person does this really, really well. You know, he was kind of giving me all the tools to go away and be better. That nurturing, that like mentorship is something that, you know, I guess you, you, anyone would be fortunate to have a mentor, someone to nurture you. I suppose in that situation, that's brilliant. Having that at work, you know, having that right in front of you. You made that happen for yourself. Yeah, I think I was very lucky in some ways in that I was able to to find mentors at, at different stages and, and along along the way and, and, and in different types of people. I think... Right. Um, but I think that came, I think that's because I was good at the job I was doing at hand. I think that because I, I think they gave me the time of day because they knew that I was, when I was working in production, I was working in production. And if I'm on your show or if I'm working on this thing, then I'm going to give you everything, give you, you know, give you, give you great ideas, yeah. make sure the work is done to a higher standard. Um, so I think it kind of gave people more sort of trust in me to have those conversations away like you know someone like a Trevor Nelson being like let's go for a coffee after you, after the show yeah because I can see yeah. that you're working hard for me so let me see what I can do for you you know yeah. Yeah. similar thing with um with Toddler and a lot of the a lot of the old the DJs that I worked with you know I think I knew if I gave a lot to them then they gave back to me I work at Soho Radio as a producer and after a couple of years there I asked for for my own show which I now do sort of fortnightly and and I totally understand that I see that you know knowing your, your task at hand doing it really mm-hmm. well and then not being afraid to ask for advice ultimately 
Yeah, and knowing when when in that moment when to ask for advice is mm. it just before that person's about to go on air, <laughs> yeah. or when, you know when they're doing Probably it, or is <laughs> yeah, or it, or is it after the show, you know, yeah. or is it dropping an email, you know, it's like having that kind of um, bit of coyness and a bit of class around <laughs> class around it. Totally, totally. I mean, growing up and going to a a creative school was there. I mean, you know, you you, re- you read about how there's there's competition at at that school. Has that manifested itself in you, do you think? I mean, I think I was competitive before the Brit school. Right. I'm quite a competitive person by nature. I would probably compete I compete with myself. Like, you know, if, it, if I saw myself running in the mirror, I'd be trying to outrun myself. But, you, you, yeah. you used to do cross-country running? Yeah, I did, well, I did a little bit. I dabbled. I dabbled. No, no runner, but <laughs> I dabbled in it. But I used to play football. I played football till I was 16. That oh, was kind of, and I had an older brother and he made me, play every day with him <laughs> brilliant and that, that's um, around new cross yeah that was when i grew up in grew up in new cross and i played um for a team called kent magpies in um which is like sort of elm so all south southeast yeah. london way um but yeah at the brit school it, it was it wasn't um what i liked about it was that everyone was kind of free so there was com- there was a competitive nature to it but it wasn't um it wasn't at the at the expense of people. It kind of taught you how to harness it. It's like you know how to use those people that are better than you to propel you, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than you know taking it taking it out on them. There just wasn't that kind of energy in the school. I don't think it would have been tolerated very well. Um, Modesty is such a big part of sport as well. Yeah, having a bit of yeah humility and mm-hmm. and, and 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 accepting sometimes when you've lost or whatever mm-hmm. or someone's better than you. Um, mm-hmm. But what was interesting was like being at the school, I loved how hands-on it was. And like literally, so it was, it was my college years that I was there and it was literally like super hands-on. Everything that we did was like working in a mini industry. Um, but I think you still had to fight to to be seen as what you wanted to be seen. So I remember working a lot on the on the radio side of things and being told that I would make a great producer and that actually probably presenting wasn't really for me, but producing was going to be my thing. Was that something that you, you took well? I mean, was that a hard thing to hear? Was presenting something you wanted to do at that yeah. time? No, yeah, it was always what I wanted to do. So I was definitely like, but then it's like a crossroads. Like, are you gonna who are you gonna who are you gonna listen to? Are you gonna listen to, to yeah. someone or are you gonna take it and be like, I'll, I'll show you? You know, and I think again, it was kind of another one of those like lessons and that those crossroads. It's like, well, that's not what that's not just what I want to do. But I'm but let me use it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean that self worth I think ultimately has have you always been you know what's your story with with self-worth and you know how you believe in yourself I suppose yeah I mean definitely wavers and like you know it's like peaks and troughs of it I think at the core of it I know that I can do anything but at the very very core of it whether it might take me a minute to get it or whether it whether I might not be the best at it to begin with I know I don't have any sort of limiting beliefs on, on what I can eventually do. And I yeah. think that's always assisting me because I don't think I was definitely not a natural, you know, a natural presenter to begin with. Um, I definitely wasn't a natural DJ to begin with. It's not something I just picked up and I was like, or someone saw me and was like, you should be a DJ. You should be a presenter. These are things that I kind of actively wanted, wanted to be. Um, and I was actually having this conversation with my mom actually the other day about my little brother he's a he kickboxes he, and he fights professionally and 
you know, she was like, you know, he's he he's a true he's a true athlete. You know, out of all my children, he's the tr- he's a true athlete. And I was like, a true athlete. I was like, hold on a minute, he's one of the true athletes. He's not the true athlete. But she was like, no, no, no. What <laughs> what I mean is, she was like, like growing up, he all he did was watch TV, watch cartoons, eat sweets on the sofa and and draw you know he was quite like a shy introverted kid but he chose kickboxing right and from you know he chose to 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 get into it like from 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 like like a 12 years old and chose to stick at it and chose to develop this like skill that wasn't like natural to him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I just thought yeah I just thought it was quite actually when I remembered it and thought about it I actually thought yeah it was quite it was quite interesting because maybe we've all had those things that aren't necessarily natural to us, but we want it. Ten years working in radio, coming out of school and, you know, knowing that you want to do something, but not necessarily... um, you know, having the experience behind you. I mean, has, has, you know, what we're talking about there, has that happened within the last 10 years as well? You know, you keep on growing as a, as a presenter, as a DJ, have there been moments that you've had to take, you know, restock about how you, how you self-evaluate in that sense? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, all I ever wanted was to be on one extra from 18 to when I got the show at, um, you know, at 24, just about to turn 25 that's all I wanted and it's all I could see and it's all I could think about and it's all I could focus on and everything was so driven to this one point in my life which was to get a show Mm. and then then it happened and then it was like okay cool but who am I if I'm not trying you know and I had to have this kind of um I had like a little bit of like a weird depression once I got the show, like, cause I went from working freelancing in production to seven days a week to working one day a week, having one show a week. Um, cause it was a bit weird to, I could have probably stayed in production if I wanted, but I kind of had to make the jump from production to presenting. Um, so I went from, yeah, working all the hours under the sun to just this one, one day a week. And then now having to figure out like what, what else then? Cause it was all I was working towards. Um, and I kind of had like a little bit of like a kind of weird little mini blip of like, I guess depression in a sense. Um, like I was sleeping all day, um, just kind of mooching about, not really doing much, but then feeling like bad because I should be feeling happy because I've got the one thing that I'd always wanted. Um, and I, I kind of like to pull, you know, my friend kind of was like, look, girl, we got to stop this. You cannot be waking up at 3 PM. This is ridiculous. Good friend. <laughs> Yeah, she was like, this is ridiculous. Um, And we kind of came up with like a little plan of like, actually, okay, you might not be working, but what are the other things you could be working on? You know, in those times, okay, you know, when you're not planning your show, like and getting all these ideas that you spoke about actually into fruition. Um, And that was kind of like, you know, the the buildings of, of building a brand really, because it's all good being given one opportunity, but you've got, like you said at the beginning, sustainability, longevity, how do you keep it? And if I just had a show on one extra and did nothing else, I wouldn't still be on one extra now, you know, or doing what, or be on six or whatever. You wouldn't have the fire inside of you. How, how do you mean when you say that? I mean, I wouldn't have had another contract given to me. <laughs> if I just literally just did the show and just, you know, did 
just went on air every week and did the show and did nothing else around having a show, I wouldn't be valuable to them. I see. Because they'd be getting more out of me than I'm getting out of them. So I've kind of had to build this Jam Supernova brand to the point of, because the relationship started off with them needed, me needing them, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted the show, I needed them. They didn't really need me. Anyone could fill that slot. But then you've got to get to a point of flipping it nowhere. They need you because you what you bring is so much, you know, whether it's off air or not, on, on air. But building that brand, did that, did that come naturally to you? You know, when no. you sort of, <laughs> do, you, do, do you remember the sort of day you sat down and thought, brainstormed? Okay, yeah, exactly. Like get on, get on the wall, you know, get on the wire. Yeah, <laughs> that's totally me. I'm <laughs> definitely that that brainstorming cloud person. Um, Love that. Yeah, no, it definitely it didn't it didn't come easy, and um, but I think it came a little bit easier than maybe it would have done when I was 21. You know, because at 21 I just wanted to be a presenter. Didn't know what kind of presenter, just a presenter. Mm-hmm. Whereas with all those knockbacks, I, I kind of had whittled it down to being, I want to be a specialist presenter. And I want to focus on, you know, this type of music. It was a very specific niche, you know, it was called future R&B at the time. It's like the alternative sides of R&B, which is kind of just R&B now. But at the time, it was very much the stuff that was happening on, on the internet. So I kind of, I had pinpointed musically what the brand was. And then it was kind of working out all the things that would go around having that brand. Okay, so we're going to have, um, you know, um, a club night, you know, or club arm to go with it because I, I can no longer call my radio show Future Bounce, which is what I had been calling it on Represent. But when I got onto One Extra, I was like, okay, you, you're not allowed to call your show brand names. So I had to kind of, I was like, oh, well, I spent, you know, the best part of two years building this brand. In what other ways can it live other than being on air? Okay, so we turned that in, in into a club night. And, and, okay, thinking about, like, what are some of the other things that I want to, I might want to talk about, you know, um, other than music, but that still kind of relate to the type of music that I support. And that's kind of like the DIY culture and the aesthetics around maybe being independent or doing it yourself or, you know, have an idea and making it happen and, and using the internet. So kind of building around that community as well. And that's how I came up with the initial idea of like, um, of DIY generation. But I think I just had to remember and keep on going back to like the pure things that, that anchored me and the pure things that I loved. And it was a, you know, a type of specific type of, of music and a specific sort of spirit of, of doing things. And it's like kind of, thinking about all the different things that make sense around that kind of having that as my nucleus I think boiling it down to that original buzz that original Mm. energy it must be hard you know sometimes to get to be in a place where you're doing so much that 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 maybe like the fog gets quite dense around it you know to bring yourself back to that true feeling I mean has that been hard for you ever oh always yeah because I think not all plates one can spin at the same time um and not, you, know, you can't always give every, everything 100% and something's going to have to take a back seat. But I feel like mm. the things that will never, for me, take a back seat is the original thing that I started off on, that's radio. And before radio, it's finding music and having the time to find music. So I never want to be too busy that I can't plan my own radio show, you know, or I can't find music online. That's the, that, that finding music online is where it all begun in my bedroom when I was 15, you know? So it's like, I don't want to move so far away from that, that I'm not doing that anymore. And I haven't got time um, 
to do that. But I think it is really important to, at any stage in your career, just reassess, like even like right now, it's like, you know, it's halfway through the year or over halfway through the year. I literally said to my manager today, I was like, Jenny, can we meet up? Um, Want to have a chat, um, just kind of have, just recalibrate, rethink about priorities. I feel like I've just fallen into a bit of being, a stage of being reactive and I want to get ahead of things, you know? So even in in those micro times of the year, it's kind of taking stock. You know, it doesn't have to be every five years, you know. And prioritizing time, you know, one hundred and one yeah. part time jobs. You know, the 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 whole idea behind this it was partly to do with the fact that you'd have to do things that aren't you creatively that aren't you, you're spending your time doing things in order to do the thing that you like to do so yeah. you, you don't want to say it's a waste of time because it's not you know you need to you need to do that other part whatever that may be to make money to to, to spend your time wisely yeah um but that that dichotomy is something that um you know independent creatives deal with daily um mm. and you, you can see how it, you know it's hard it's a hard game right yeah i think it is and i think I think it's really good. I think I, I, I feel really, really good about the fact that I've always worked, you know, away from what I what I do, you know, and whether it was, I, you know, had many different jobs, like kind of to assist this dream along the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I worked in, um, I worked as a teaching assistant um, in between doing work experience in that year between college and and the BBC because I knew that I'd get time off or, yeah. you know, even when I wanted to be on air, production is my job. That's what makes mm -hmm. me the money. I want to be on air. I'm doing stuff from Represent. They don't pay me, but being a producer pays me. Mm -hmm. And then you get on air and it's like, okay, cool. All right, I can't live off this. <laughs> I love this. This is my dream, but I can't live. I can't live off this. Okay, so what are like the other ways in which I can make money? Um, and even now, you know, I, I have I have like a day, like not a day job, but like I have different elements of my work that I think of as my day job to allow me to do the shows that I do and put as much time into the shows that I do. There's about two days of the week that I work that are me doing my part time job, basically. Right. Right. That's so interesting that it, it, it evolves. It's always there. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and you don't want to as well you know I don't know about you but I don't want to always put like all of my 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 monetary interest into the one thing that I love the most and I always thought this about specifically about DJing because I love DJing and I think it's a real craft and I love the art of it and so it's I, I have so much feelings attached to the actual like form of DJing I think if I had money attached to it as my my sole income then it would make me hate it and I don't want to hate it and I want to protect it. You, f you find inspirations in the most unlikely of places. Um, I've, I mean, I find walking really helps me mm. for that. I love, I love walking along the Thames. I love trying to do like going to places that maybe I kind of have to push myself to want to do sometimes, yeah. you know, I mean, six music, doing stuff on six music was, is that, is that, was that part of it that, you know, you wanted to, to, to try different try different things ultimately yeah I mean it wasn't it, it kind of came out of nowhere in a way that I hadn't planned for it um until it was kind of sort of happening in a, in a way um as it does yeah which 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 was which was a nice thing but I definitely had had got to a point you know I've been on, on one extra for for over five years um and I was just sort of thinking I don't know like I love my show on one extra I want to keep on doing it for as long as 
they'll have me but what is next what is really next for me where do I go next and I couldn't really like think I was like do I go do I should I have a little look at what Radio One's saying but they feel quite close to one extra so I don't a lot of people outside the building don't really know the difference is that going to make a sort of splash for me you know a big enough impact because I want to do something creatively different as well um do I leave the VVC you know that's scary I've been there since I was 19 you know um do I do I take that route and um kind of out of nowhere I got offered to cover Giles for for three weeks um and I and I did it and I and I loved it and I loved the freedom and it pushed me you know it challenged me and it made me want to be a better broadcaster because now I was alongside all these all these veterans and his slot as well being so sort of esteemed and um after those three weeks I was like yeah this is I want I want to be here (laughs) Were you finding out about new music or music in general when covering Giles' show for those three weeks? Were you, were you finding new music from other places, you know, different different ways of finding music? Would you, would you go, I don't know, crate digging as well as, you know, finding out on SoundCloud and the internet? Because I feel, yeah, I feel like it pushed me, but not in that way to find new music. It's pushed me to find old music. Covering that show and the show that I do now, um, it's and being on Six in general, it's pushing me to learn I've always been like new music new music new music it's been my whole thing it's been my whole brand you know for for so long and it's all like even as a child always all about what's new what's new what's new but um now it's about learning about what has come yeah yeah and what informs what I am playing now and how does that work and why does that matter and you know what did these people do like I just watch you know watch a lot of documentaries and that and, and doing the jazz 625 show with with Moses Boyd that um Moses basically became my my mentor and teacher and my my Yoda, uh, my nice. jazz Yoda for for a month, um, and that just yeah that appetite like I you know like like I said new music I know where to look I know how to find it I know what's I kind of got a good good way of foresight and I can tell you what artists are kind of coming up on, along that peak but the older stuff that's the gap in my knowledge yeah yeah you know I'm exactly the same I write a new music column for the I paper on Fridays and my show on Soho Radio Modern Lovers is new punk folk and indie I frustrate myself because I almost don't have enough time with the production mm. work to to go back and listen to Ian Jury in the Blockheads as much as I'd like to you know yeah. or listen to Sly and the Family Stone I mean now those those are two that I've got into recently that come to mind and you know having that time to to go back in time and exactly do that I mean that's there's so much value there there's so much worth and you want to you want to you want to know your stuff right yeah exactly yeah it was a it's, it, it makes you feel more kind of um I guess rounded as I'm sure for you as a writer as a broadcaster as a as a connoisseur of music I think knowing knowing the past you know I think is um is a crucial is a sort of crucial crucial part but um yeah but finding the times definitely been something again like I started off the year really strong that I would have um documentary Wednesdays Ace. And I'd, w- I'd watch a documentary on a Wednesday and I was like buying all these like random like memberships to different things. And it has definitely like sort of tailed off as the years progressed. But I kind of was sort of like kind of had a, like a little sort of check back in with myself. It's like, come on, get get let's find let's find some more time to do those things, you know, mm-hmm. or whether it's listening to a podcast. Right, I'm going to walk the dog. But what can I be listening to um, that might do that? I read that Tyler, the creator would would just, you know, find 10 new records every day you know go to the record store create dig find 10 new records that he's never listened to before and and you know work with it and get inspired yeah. by it 
when I interviewed Rebecca Hutchins, um, he was talking about his experience of, um, he's from Sons of Kermit, a wicked jazz, right, jazz yeah. band. Um, and he was talking about, he grew up in Barbados and he moved to Birmingham when he was uh, sort of 16 and every, he discovered the library. And every week he would go to the library and he would just get out as much music as possible from classical to, you know, to, to Britpop to, to whatever Fiona Apple or whatever, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cause it was music that he didn't have access to in Barbados and he wanted, he wanted to learn um, this different mu- this music that he, he hadn't, he hadn't heard before. And he said you know, some of it he liked, some of it he didn't like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he forced mm-hmm. himself to listen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, forcing I mean, that it is it's in, it's an intimidating prospect, isn't it? You know, going to do that, it's hard. To, it's hard to dive in sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. I think, and that's why I kind of like it in a more documentary form because I feel like I can there's digest it. Yeah, as a story that that a little bit better. But um, yeah, I was just amazed by by his dedication, and he is, you know, really accomplished musician. There's that Questlove documentary coming up. Yeah, seen it. Have you? I have, yeah. Lucky to have a little preview. Um, watched it on a Sunday, um, and I just loved it. I thought it was brilliant. So it's the Summer of Soul, and it was about this yeah. Harlem music festival that took place um, in the sixties. I think sixty-nine is the year my mum was born, um, and it never ever got shown. It never. They had all this amazing footage and audio. If you're a nerd, you're going to love the audio side of it as well. The way it's captured is great, but no one wanted it because they all wanted Woodstock and it just basically got forgotten. But they had young Stevie Wonder to Nina Simone to, you know, oh, just everyone. Amazing. Can't wait to watch it. Yeah. That's the education as well, like in the sort of like the intersection of, of music and culture and, mm-hmm. um, and I guess the social climate. Well, Jams, thanks so much for, you know, being up for this and giving me your time and and chatting, you know, so candidly about all this stuff. No worries. One of the things I love about your DIY handbook is that it's partially about the mistakes that people have made. Now, we see the good things that people do all the time, but not necessarily the trials and tribulations, nor the mistakes they've made. I wondered if you'd be able to bless us with any gaffes that you've made working in radio over the last 10 years. Yeah, 100%. I took took one extra off air. The whole station in my hands. I took it off air. Uh, no. We were doing a handover between. Um, so we were taking network on Radio One and One Extra to go into toddler show. It was a simulcast show. So it was my job to be in the One Extra studio taking that network. And I had done everything right except for call control room and actually get network myself. So when the show kicked in, I was in a, yeah, I was in a studio without network. So, so technically, I hadn't called the right people to actually get the control, and I took uh, so I took we I took us off air, and then if it goes silent for thirty seconds, something called um, the the auto or the auto player kicks in, and um, it kicked in or the obit sorry, which is actually normally when someone dies because they think if there's like thirty seconds in, of of silence in a studio, then something awful has happened. Wow. Um, so obit kicks in, and then sad music starts playing, and it or down tempo music. And um, it was JLS, Everybody in Love, just started playing out of nowhere. And I was like, this is not toddler show. Oh, my God. And it was like I had to call control room. We had to crash in out of JLS into what toddler was already doing. And it was just horrible. And I cried. <laughs> Maybe that's a running theme. I cried. <laughs> cried my eyes out. And I had to tell the boss, um, not the boss, but the head of operations, Tony Woods, what had happened. And I thought the best way to 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 not not cry even more is to tell myself off in front of him 
So I was like, Tony, I took one extra off air and I'm, it was the stupidest thing, Tony. You know, I, I, I just one one step I didn't follow is because I probably distracted. I should have been, you know, I should have been in the studio earlier, Tony. I should have been in the studio earlier and that won't happen again. And he was like, well, Jamila, I think you've, um, you know what you've done and you've accepted your mistakes and I think we don't need to talk about it anymore. No, that's so great that's so great <laughs> i mean that's the thing with, with, with live radio is that things like that are going to happen shit happens yeah shit does happen and the only thing that really matters is is the next thing you do you know how yes. you what yeah. you know the, the, the next note yeah and that's life isn't it really isn't it it's like shit's totally. going to happen mistakes are going to happen and and ultimately for the most part we're not saying well actually not ultimately we're not saving lives it's not that deep what we do day in day out is not is not saving lives so you just got to take that mistake and take that little bump and just get back up and dust yourself off and go again you'll be better for it probably exactly well jams jamila thank you so much for for being up for this love it no i've really enjoyed it thank you good to hear cheers so there she is jam supernova with an excellent story to finish with thank you jams thank you melissa meadows and thank you for listening see you next week here's cox Barra. I've been working all day for me mate on the side Running around like a blue ass fly I've been working, yeah I've been working all day for me mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.